0: Happy Grandfather's and Grandmother's Day. Stand up and let's sing to all of our grandparents. What a
1: wonderful wonderful grave in my heart has been wrought since Jesus.
2: I believed and I repented and I was baptized, you know, we're going to finish that one up. Oh man, it's going to be a long service. Um, Proverbs, <laughs> you <got> a lot. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own, on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, it's a true joy to know that you live within us, and we're here to celebrate that today. Father, as we're here, as we're gathered here today, I pray that we're strengthened and encouraged, we're convicted, and Lord, that we will just bring joy to those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. We had a good, we had a great time on our off-road adventure last night. It was a real adventure. We got to actually pull somebody out of a three, what, about a five, six-foot ravine, so it was pretty cool. But anyway, it was fun. But we're here today to worship the Lord together. Amen. Now, on our next slide, you're going to have the opportunity. Make sure you fill out your connection card. And uh, for those of you watching, we ask that you do that. Now, before I move to the next slide, I'm going to explain something to you because we've never done this here before. Well, we really have. The next slide is going to come up. It's going to count down from three minutes, okay? At three minutes, these guys are going to come back up here and start singing. But during that three minutes, what you're going to do is I want you to go around and don't go to your best buddy and talk to him. (laughs) Go to somebody you hate. No, no. (laughs) Go to somebody you haven't said hi to and at least say hello. And if it's somebody you haven't connected with, after service, we encourage you to spend a little time connecting with each other. So, right now, we're going to go ahead and flip to the next slide. You got three minutes. Make the most of it. (laughs) We try a guided greeting time, <clears throat> see how it goes. Some of you are like, What just hit me? Some of you are like, Oh, I have three minutes, isn't it long enough? I said, Yes, it is. <laughs> because you have time after service to connect with people also. You don't have to run out the door. <laughs> I'm sure at one point in time you have heard the saying, God is good all the time, and all the time, <clears throat> God is good. Many times we hear something to the effect that, I got a promotion, God is good. The cancer is gone, praise God, he is good. My child came back to the Lord, God is good. My marriage was saved, God is good. But how often do you hear something like this? I was let go from my job, God is good. We thought he was getting better, but he took a turn for a worse and died overnight. God is good. My child was arrested last night. God is good. My spouse left me for someone else. Okay, maybe some... Anyway. <laughs> we'll assume that that's not a good thing. And some would be go. God is good. Hallelujah. But anyway, that's kind of mean, isn't it? A preacher shouldn't talk like that. <clears throat> what we need to understand in life is the goodness of God is not dependent on our current circumstances. God is good, even in the midst of our struggle. This is why when you go back to the Psalms, you know, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That is a good God. If it were the fact that God says, you know what, I'm just gonna leave you be and hope you make it, that's a different story. As we conclude our series in Habakkuk, which I hope you've enjoyed, you're gonna find that Habakkuk is not the same person that we saw in the beginning of the book. <clears throat> Habakkuk starts the book, he brings a heartfelt request to God in prayer and placing it before God, he was led into a profound experience of God's majesty and his power, during which he was brought face to face with God in communication with God. Now he describes the impact <clears throat> of this encounter as we close out this book in the final few verses. Habakkuk has been pro- profoundly challenged, and indeed he has been changed by this time because of his time in prayer and his communication with God. The Habakkuk who speaks in verses 16 through 19 is a very different person than the Habakkuk who started out in chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the ending of Habakkuk is inspiring, and it's an example of what it means to experience and to live of life of true worship. The big idea to our message this morning is very simple. Worship is not about the moment, it's about the lifetime. And we have to keep that in mind. So let's open our passage together. We'll begin in verse 17 this morning. And excuse me for just a second, I'm having trouble. I think it's breathing all that dust last night. I'm gonna steal my wife's, hopefully, water. sometimes she has caffeine in there and I can't have that It's trying to get rid of me well the first thing we see as we look at the passage let's go back to verse 17 it says this when the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines when the olive trees do not produce and the fields yield no crops when the sheep disappear from the pens and there are no cattle in the stalls first thing we see here is true worship is not affected by circumstances what a change of tune for Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, we witness his struggles, wondering, God, do you care? Now remember, Habakkuk is deeply, he's deeply hurt by what's going on around him. He's not just trying to be vindictive and say, hey, let's go get these dirt bags, but he's offended by how they're living their lives for the people of God who claim to be people of God and how they're living. In the Book of Habakkuk, we wish we worship we we see these struggles. However, one lesson we can draw from his journey is that is the fact that external circumstances should not affect true worship. In other words, we're going to worship God no matter what happens. Regardless of the challenges, regardless of the uncertainties that surround us, our worship should remain steadfast, rooted in faith, and more importantly, trust in God. In Habakkuk 3:17, It starts one of the most beautiful declarations of true faith and worship you're going to find anywhere. Habakkuk declares that even if the fields and the trees don't produce any fruit, if the cattle aren't productive, if the sheep are gone, he's still going to rejoice in the Lord. The end of Habakkuk points to his transformation. See, Habakkuk is an example of somebody who is not afraid to take his questions to God, to be honestly a little upset at God over what's going on. And then having the open heart and the open mind to listen for God's answer. And when he did that, he was changed. Habakkuk moved from chapter one, where he says, God, you don't even care what's happening here. What's the problem? To chapter three, he says, God, regardless of what my eyes see, I will worship you, I will praise you, I will exalt you no matter what. Verse 17 gives us an indication that bad stuff is coming. And what makes this even more confusing and difficult is this. In Jewish thought, wealth and prosperity were signs of God's blessing. And so if you're receiving that, you should be praising God. That seems pretty simple. I mean, if you're, doing, if you're well-to-do and you feel like God's blessing, you should definitely be praising him. <clears throat> and even during the days of Jesus, this thought was still prevalent. This is why the story that Jesus had <clears throat> with the rich-rung ruler in Matthew chapter 19 was so confusing to the disciples. This young man comes to Jesus, and and from what we read in Scripture, this man is really heartfelt in his conviction, heartfelt in his question, and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, you need to keep the commands, and he lists a few of them. And the young man looks at Jesus and says, Well, I've been doing this since my childhood. And Jesus looks at him and he says, You're lacking one thing. Go sell all your possessions and come follow me. The young ruler, the rich young ruler, was grieved. See, that rich young ruler was missing something in his life. You know, people who say that all I got to do to go to heaven is be a good person, that dude was a good person. But he knew instinctively something was missing. And I think people who think I'm a good person, so therefore I'm going to see God... they know something's missing, and that thing that's missing is Jesus. And for that rich young ruler, Jesus knew what was missing. He knew as long as that young man possessed all that wealth, and notice Jesus didn't tell everybody to sell everything, but he told him to because he knew that wealth was going to be a stumbling block. So as this young man leaves, his disciples are like freaking out a little bit. Jesus says this, then Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it will be harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Again I say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were beside themselves because their whole life they've been trained prosperity means God's blessing. Sometimes it does, okay? And so they're seeing this rich young ruler walking away and they're like, "Wait a minute." holy cow. And so the disciples, they said they were greatly astonished when they heard this. And they said, then who can be saved? Now, why are they asking this? Because remember, prosperity is a sign of God's blessing. If a rich person can't get her, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. They're thinking, well, wait a minute, God's blessing them and they can't get in. Who's got a chance? And of course, Jesus looked at them and replied, this is possible, impossible for mere humans, but for God, all things are possible confusion. So as Habakkuk is looking at all this, there's a sense of a bit of confusion. Habakkuk acknowledges that things are going to get bad, but he's not going to let that fact detract from who he is and the, who, who God is and who he is. Habakkuk uses a series of six clauses to show the gravity of the situation. Now, some commentators say, well, this is just symbolic. Others say, nope, he's nailed it on the head what's going to happen. I think it can kind of be both. But they represent this comprehensive depiction of the adversity that the nation's about to, find, to, to deal with under the, underneath the, uh, the Babylonians. And so as we look at each clause, he says in the first one, as though the fig trees should not blossom. <clears throat> now, from the symbolic side, fig trees symbolize prosperity and abundance in the ancient Near East. Its failure to blossom represented an absence of fruitfulness and economic decline. The second thing he says, there would be no fruit on the vine. Vines were essential for producing grapes. This was a significant agricultural commodity. The lack of fruit of the vine symbolizes a loss of agricultural productivity, resulting in scarcity. And then he says that the produce of the olives fail. Olives obviously were vital for the production and sub, for their production and their substance because they made oil out of it. Failure. Of the olive to produce emphasizes the dire condition of the agricultural devastation they were going to face, and then he said in verse the fourth one, he says in the fields yield no food, <clears throat> this clause encompasses the broader impact of unproductive fields, encompassing the failure of various crops and the severe shortages and uh, that people were going to face. He says and then he says the flock be cut off from the fold, the loss of the flock represents the collapse of the livestock industry, which was very important the absence of animal resources, which were crucial for food, clothing, and economic stability. They didn't have vegans in that day. (laughs) They ate meat and they used them. Six, they said there'll be no herds in in the stalls. This final clause signifies the complete absence of cattle, indicating a profound economic loss and a lack of resources for agricultural work and transportation. And when you take all six of these things together, just to put it in a nutshell, Habakkuk says, this is going to get ugly. There are going to be people because of all this, this devastation was going to cause the death and starvation of many people. This is a vivid description of the earth policy, by the way, of the Babylonians. The Babylonians would take out of an area what was useful to them, and they basically would scorch everything else out. They'd torch it out. They didn't leave much standing. Everything of value would be transported and carried away by these ruthless invaders. And what remained would be destroyed, making the land almost uninhabitable. So Habakkuk is not looking at this lightly. He's not saying, okay, it's gonna get bad. I praise you, God. This is bad. He's describing these hardships. He's capturing the depth of the crisis. And he sets the stage for his declaration of unwavering faith and worship in the following verses. This verse 17 is pivotal To what we're going to see in verses 18 and 19. These clauses serve as a powerful backdrop to emphasize the strength of Habakkuk's trusting God and that he chooses to find joy and to and to rejoice in the Lord despite these circumstances. How many of us can rejoice in those bad circumstances? It's hard, isn't it? Because we're so focused on the circumstances we forget who God is. Habakkuk says, Lord, I know what's coming. He knows who these Babylonians are. This is why he was so appalled when God said, I'm going to use these Babylonians to spank these boys and teach them a lesson. It's easy to praise God when things are going well. As I've stated in in an earlier message, can you raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm? That is when you know, I hate to say that you've made it, but that's how you know you're maturing. That some people they're on fire for the Lord one moment because things are going well. When things start to waver, they lose that fire for the Lord. And then when things go really bad, some of them will walk away from the Lord. Habakkuk says, that's not me. His nation is going to be close to destruction. Life wasn't going to be easy and he's not shielded from it. He's going to be hungry like the other people. He's going to be scrounging for resources like everyone else. It's not going to be easy. Circumstances should not and cannot sway your determination to worship the Lord. Let's move to verse 18. Here we go. (coughs) Excuse me. After all of what he just said in 17, he says, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. If you're going to be able to experience true worship in life, this has to happen true worship springs out of a correct perspective on life. Your perspective needs to be in the right place. Despite all the trauma that the nation was going to face and Habakkuk himself would face, why is Habakkuk able to say, you know what, I'm going to rejoice? Habakkuk can rejoice because he has a correct perspective on life. Habakkuk says, I will rejoice because of the Lord. He knows who God is. His perspective is not swayed by what he sees, but it's swayed by who he is. And he knows that God will keep his promises, and he knows that no matter how tough it is, God will be with them and God will deliver what he said he's going to deliver. See, Habakkuk three eighteen moments won't happen in our lives without Habakkuk chapter three verses one through sixteen moments. Moments where we remember God's goodness. Where we remember God's faithfulness and we remember God of the past past remember last week's message was remember the past if we can't do that we can't do this in verse 18 when we don't understand and remember God's faithfulness and the great things that God has done in life when you're facing adversity you'll fall apart because you don't have anything to anchor to this is why writing things down can be so important it's because you can look back and say yeah I remember I remember how God helped me. this looked desperate but God carried us through. Moments when we acknowledge God has a different perspective from ours, it will help us to be able to keep our focus correct. Moments when we decide to trust him, even when we kind of don't want to, even when we don't like what we're seeing, even when we don't like and understand what's going on, that is the mark of maturity in our faith. Learning to worship God in the good times prepares us to worship him in the difficult times. And I know what people may be saying like, well, you know, if this God is so good, why are the difficult times? You want to know why? It's a very unfulfilling answer because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Why do these bad things happen? Because we live in a fallen world. When you go to heaven one day, go shake Adam and Eve's hand. <laughs> if it wouldn't have been them, it would have been somebody else, you know, Jane and Kevin or whoever. But anyway, it, it was going to happen at some point because that's just the way we are. But if we, the good time worship helps us worship him in the difficult times. You don't know how strong you are until you face resistance. It's just like I've said going into the gym. <clears throat> if you go in and lift a one ounce weight all the time, and look at, look at me, man, I'm really hitting this weight. Unless you do it like five million times to where you wear your muscle up, you're not going to get much out of it. You need that resistance. And for people who struggle with like bone density, one of the best things you can do is strength training because it forces those things, those bones and things to start to strengthen. And you've got to have that resistance. And if you don't have that resistance, you don't know how strong you are. What determines which way the storms will affect you? Will the storms build your faith or will they destroy you? What determines which way it will go? It's perspective. It is perspective. It is clearly seeing the correct perspective in life. Habakkuk says he will rejoice. Why? not because of the problems, but because of the Lord. He gives no other reason. Verse 18 encapsulates the essence of true faith and true worship in the face of adversity. And believe me, we're all, most of us here are old enough. There's a few youngsters here who haven't but most of us have faced adversity. We know what this is talking about. We've been through those battles and here we stand. Why? Because we were able to rejoice in the middle of the storm. The simple declaration in verse 18, Habakkuk shows his unwavering faith, trust, and commitment to God no matter what the circumstances are and no matter how difficult things are around him. My friends, that's hard to do, but as you grow in your faith and you keep the right perspective, you can do that. The contrast between challenging realities described in the previous verses of Habakkuk and his response to them reveals his decision to to rise above circumstances, and instead chooses a posture of rejoicing in joy in the Lord. That's amazing. His choice to rejoice in the Lord is not based on the absence of trials. He's not saying, Lord, if you take this stuff away, I'm going to rejoice. Nope. He lists in 17 all this bad stuff that's going to happen, and he says, I'm going to rejoice. He's not going to say, I'm going to wait till the circumstances are favorable. He's going to rejoice this is a deliberate act of faith. It's a conscious decision. It's a choice of the will where he shifts his focus from the circumstances <clears throat> to the creator. And I would encourage you if you're in the middle of a storm right now and you're facing circumstances, take your eyes off the circumstances and put them on God and change your perspective. It, it may not get rid of those circumstances, but believe me, it'll get you through them. And that's what you need we pray, Lord, take all this away from me. And don't, And believe me, I pray the same thing. We, we all do. But what are you going to do if he doesn't? You know, my mother passed away in, earlier this year. And, uh, you know, I prayed it wouldn't happen. I think it was preventable. I think the first hospital she went to was a clown show. But anyway, that's my personal view. Don't sue me for it. But the fact of the matter is my mother passed away. She died. Well, am I going to blame God? Am I going to say, well, God, you're terrible. God, you don't love me. God, I'm a minister. I've devoted my life to serving you. What's the problem? Nope. We live in a fallen world. My mother got cancer. She went to a bad hospital. It didn't treat her like they should have. And as a result of that, my mother passed away. I don't like that, but I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord because I know who he is. Deliberate acts of faith, it's a a shift of focus. And that's what we need to have in life. Habakkuk understands that true joy and fulfillment are found in a relationship with God and through his salvation. Verse 18 is a powerful reminder of that for us today. Now, think about this. Let's just be a little pragmatic about this. You're facing a difficult situation, and all you do is stress and get depressed. Okay? Believe me, I got the mirror in front of me on this one. (laughs) What does it change? what does it change? Being destroyed by a circumstance, what does it change? The circumstance is still there. What changes is how you react. And so I'm not suggesting you jump up and down when bad things happen, but you still keep that perspective to be able to rejoice in the Lord. And remember I said, what was it last week, the week before? Do you believe that God's involved in your life? Do you believe that God is in control? Yes, but no buts. Yes or no. And if you believe he's in control, I've been dealing with a situation here lately that I had to tell myself, God's in control. I don't really like the way this is going down, but it's going down this way for a reason. And I have to let it go. And I've got to let God do his thing and let it go. And you know, when I was finally, it took me a little bit of time, but when I finally did it, I started feeling peace. I'm still frustrated, obviously, but I feel peace. I'm not worried about the what ifs. I'm not worried about anything else. God is in control, yes or no, yes. And that's where you have to be. I'm a little ashamed it took me a while to get to that point, but I'm human too. Habakkuk is acknowledging that God delivers, rescues, and brings salvation to his people. And so he knows that God's going to come through in the end. By finding joy in his salvation, he he affirms his confidence in God's ability to provide, protect, and sustain through trials and encounters. And see, going back to a situation that you might be dealing with, if you're stressing and depressing over it, it just makes it worse. It makes it even worse than it should be. But when you can just say, God, I don't like this, but I trust you, believe me, you're going to find peace through that storm. And do you want to be stressed and depressed, which does nothing but make you feel worse? Or do you want to just say, God, I trust you? God, whatever comes down the pipe, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to trust you. We are called to look beyond the challenges we face and fix our gaze and our faith on God through Jesus Christ. Habakkuk's declaration reveals a deep understanding of God's character and the source of all his salvation and everything else. Finding joy in that, Habakkuk is able to say, you know what? I'm going to be okay. In a world where circumstances can fluctuate and challenges can be overwhelming, his example teaches us the power of choosing joy and rejoicing in the Lord. It's a choice. We are encouraged to anchor our faith on the unchanging nature of our unchanging God and find ultimate satisfaction in him. Let our worship and faith be marked by unwavering trust knowing that God is a source of joy, strength, and deliverance in every situation. Let's drop down to verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. This prayer is for the song leader. It's accompanied by stringed instruments. Oh, wait a minute. They had stringed instruments? Anyway, I'd like to leave that one alone. So the third thing that we see here is this true worship happens when we focus on the one true God. Who and where is Habakkuk placing his focus during the impending doom that the nation's going to face? His focus is on God and what God does for him. Habakkuk 319 shows the result of verses 17 and 18. When we rejoice in the Lord regardless of what we're experiencing, he strengthens us. He enables us to go to a higher plane than we've ever been able to go before. Most seasoned Christians have faced crisis of belief at some point in their lives. A season when they struggle to see God in the midst of their suffering. A season where they wonder if God is even listening. I've got a friend of mine who's going through that right now. He really, you know, he's like, I just don't know what to do anymore at the moment. He'll be okay, but it's a struggle. But in that trial, when you go through it, your faith will grow and it'll develop. Many of the difficult times, have, many, time, many of our difficult times, excuse me, will give us a platform to be able to be a blessing and encouragement to other people. I've seen some really bad situations in people's lives that they ended up bad, but they were able to eventually use those, those people to be able to minister to other people going through the same thing. I'm not saying God caused the bad things so they could do it, but that was a result of living in a fallen world when bad things happen. God was able to take that bad thing and help these folks use it to bless other people. Um, The writer of Hebrews says that we can find comfort in knowing that Jesus went through the same things that we do. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Isn't it good? I don't know about you, but one of the things... Since I've been in ministry, and I was very fortunate to be around some guys that showed me this very often, when I was a little kid and I'd go to church occasionally, or when I went to when I got when I had the drug problem, I got drugged to church all the time by my mom. Um, I, I, uh, I thought, man, those people are perfect. You know, when I'd go when I was dating different ladies before my wonderful wife saved me from that. Uh, I go to church occasionally, and, and, and I always have the picture of the person behind this thing, and sometimes it'd be a big, magnificent pulpit. Man, that guy must, he's got it together. One of the things I've tried to do is I've tried, I always try, there's a line between being transparent and pathetic. I get that, but I don't want anybody looking up here in my fine black attire, by the way, and say, man, that dude is perfect. Boy, if you, if you think that, go talk to my wife. She'll say, or my cat, well, my cat's, I think I'm perfect, but, but go talk to them. I mean, I am not. I struggle just like everyone else. Life is hard sometimes. But I've had people say, you know what? I can relate to you. I don't have to come up here and put on an air of, I win every time. I struggle with nothing. How come you losers can't be like me? no no that's not encouraging that's like that'd be like um um, i don't know nolan ryan trying to teach me how to pitch and being frustrated i couldn't throw 108 miles an hour you know it's not it's not encouraging what i love is the fact that my god my jesus i can go to him when i'm struggling and he doesn't look at me in disgust he understands, because he's been through those battles too. Trust is one of the foundations of worship, and I can trust that Jesus relates to me, so therefore I can take what I have to Jesus. Trusting through, through the windshield, it's trusting through the windshield, I should say, looking ahead and not just looking in the rear view mirror. It's being able to look ahead and say, I trust you, and not just focusing behind me. Many times, when we understand who God is, we're able to say, I can trust you, and you can get me through this time. Sometimes we say, if I know this is only going to ever end, if this is ever going to end, I could, it would be easier to trust you. God, just tell me when this trial is going to stop. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The more we worship, the more we spend time with God and his word, the more we time we spend in prayer, the more time we actively pursue the leading of the Holy Spirit, the more time we spend in community with other believers, the more intentional we get for looking for God in situations, that becomes much easier. I hear people say, I don't need to come to church to be able to be a good Christian. I challenge that contention. My question is, why don't you? I understand somebody who can't. You know, poor Ruth was laid up there for Lord knows how long and here she is. She's back with us. That's good. But we need this fellowship with each other, this encouragement, this connection. Our church shouldn't be a place where you just walk in and walk out. That's, that's a mistake. This is a place where we need to connect. Our, the, our, our, our if you will, our, our branding here, I hate to use that term, is changing lives by connecting people with Christ. And we also do that by connecting with each other. It's so important. Habakkuk concludes the book with a powerful declaration of strength, trust, and an unwavering faith of God. In the verse, he says this. Let's look at the verse one more time, and we'll close out with this. The sovereign Lord is a source of my strength. He gives me the, the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged train. So he proclaims, he says, the Lord, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He affirms his dependence on God's power, He's not doing it on his own. He recognizes that his own strength is insufficient to navigate his difficulties. Instead, he finds strength in his relationship with God and trusting him. He talks about the fact that he has the feet of the deer, and that's significant because deer are known for their agility and their speed and able to traverse rugged terrain. By comparing his feet to those of a deer, Habakkuk expresses confidence that God will enable him to walk with grace and stability even in the treacherous paths. The imagery suggests that Habakkuk is strengthened by God and guides him and empowers him to navigate. He says, he enables me to negotiate rugged terrains. It, that in, gives the idea of victory and the ability to win the battle. It implies that God is with him no matter what. These are powerful reminders for us today. Habakkuk is an encourage, is a, is a example of courage and strength. One of the most profound things about the book of Habakkuk is from chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3, the circumstance did not change, but Habakkuk did. He moved from a place of frustration to a place of praise and worship. Habakkuk encourages us as believers that we can take our frustrations and our questions to God. Habakkuk encourages us to grow in our faith and our trust as we continue to seek him. This kind of faith causes us to respond differently to what we face in life. It causes us to to come diff- to react differently than those who don't know Jesus. Our application is simply this. Learning to worship regardless of circumstances will deepen your faith and your relationship with God. True worship is centered on God and God alone. Our current set of circumstances should have no impact on our true worship to God. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. You know, sometimes I've talked to people and they've resisted coming to Christ because of circumstances. Well, when I was a child, this happened. And, and believe me, I don't, want an, I, don't, I don't say that flippantly because, man, I know some people have been through some bad stuff. But you know who can get you through that stuff? You know who can heal you? You know who can take that guilt and shame away from you, from things maybe you had had done to you that you had no power over, or things you've done? It It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus will take that baggage, he'll take that shame, he'll take that pain, and he'll take it to the cross with him. This morning, if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. If you're an immersed believer this morning and want to um, make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. Maybe you're struggling today and you need to pray. Uh, I'd be glad to pray with you or whatever Elder's Roger would. If you have a decision for Christ this morning or a prayer need, we invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing together our song of decision.
0: And divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. We're told that after Jesus had eaten the Passover with his disciples in the upper room, he took bread, First, he gave thanks and then gave it to the disciples and in like manner the cup of wine, saying that the bread and the wine were symbols of his approaching death. He gave thanks. Why? For what? Well... He knew that within a few hours he must undergo an agony of spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane that he would, that it would cause him to uh, have great uh, get this right now in the Garden of Gethsemane that would cause him to sweat drops of blood. He knew that one of the disciples who shared the bread and the wine with him was going to betray him another would deny him and all the rest would abandon him he knew that he must endure the torture of the crown of thorns for hours and finally the excruciating suffering of the cross yet he gave thanks why or what In his own prayer at this same supper, he recalled the glory he had with the Father before the world was created. In his earthly ministry, there had been high points of achievement as he performed miracles and taught the crowds. For these, he could give thanks. But what about that which lay ahead? Believe it or not, I believe he gave thanks for that as well. That which was to come, however difficult it might be, that caused him to give thanks. You see, that which was to come was part of the divine plan for the redemption of mankind. That which was to come was necessary for him to face and to go through because he was obedient unto the Father, and he thus expressed his love for each and every one of us down through the ages since those tragic events. John eighteen thirty seven. you remember he said, uh, Jesus said to Pilate, for this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth that bearing of witness could be perfected only by his death. In one version of our text, in John, it reads a little clearer for us. There it says, I was born and entered into the world so that I could bear witness to the truth of the scriptures. The disciples, Jesus said, as you do this referring to the communion remember why I came and that I bore witness to the truth of the scriptures that foretold my coming and dying he gave thanks for his difficulties as Jeff spoke this morning the hour is come, the feast is spread. Behold my body given. Behold my lifeblood freely shed to ransom souls for heaven. Break the bread and drink the wine, and thus give thanks as you remember me. Lord God, Jesus gave thanks even for the difficult things in his life. May we, as we thus remember the difficulties he went through, may we give thanks that he was willing to do that for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: On the inside of your bulletin, we have some announcements for this week. We have our elder preachers uh, meeting today at three thirty. Jerry has all of his youth activities. Roger's group is meeting this evening, and um, open it. Yeah. And um, we have our leadership team meeting Tuesday night. Jules's group is meeting. Uh, Lori's uh, life group meets on Wednesday. We have prime time. We're going to the Golden Dragon. Yeah, prime primetime is the third Friday of the month. I won't mention somebody's name who's on the praise team, but anyway, um, the spa, Robin's got an announcement out spa, I'll have her come up here and I'll turn her microphone on if she hasn't already. Oh. Sorry about that, sorry dear.
3: So I know it's still hot outside but we're gonna have a bonfire Saturday night <laughs> at 6 p.m. at Jules Vanderdassen's home. There's an announcement in the bulletin that gives her address, and I hope as many of you ladies can come as possible because it's always good to get fired up for Jesus, right? And the s'mores are still gonna be delicious, and diving into God's word is always gonna be nourishing. And we're gonna be talking about James chapter five, verse nine, if you wanna <laughs> look it up, about not grumbling against one another. And there are a lot of tie-ins to Jeff's message this morning. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, Come and have fellowship and food. Well, the food, s'mores, you know. We're not serving dinner, but (laughs) we think it'll be a great time. And we just encourage every woman who would like to come to come and make those connections because it is very meaningful to have connections with your sisters in Christ. And we often have really deep discussions and really meaningful prayer times when we have these uh, events. So I hope you'll take advantage of it. Thank you.
2: So um, they're gonna be fattening up for Jesus. That's good. <laughs> now the ladies spa, it's a great opportunity. When, you, when we have events like this, we know sometimes everybody can't make everything, but it, when you're not coming to them, you're missing out. Not only that, you're missing on giving someone else a blessing. So just if you've got the opportunity, we'd love to have you come for that. Um, Let me think here. Uh, We have some other announcements in the bulletin. You can take note of those. That's why we have them in the bulletin. Seems like there was something else, but anyway. Oh, we had a great time on the off-road adventure yesterday. I I think we have some video, but I'm not going to show it yet because we want to protect the names of the innocent. But uh, we had somebody in their Jeep actually dropped off, no, what, about a five-foot ravine. Nobody was hurt, just some pride. But... uh, it was fun. We, it was fun pulling that out. But anyway, um, on, the, on our prayer concerns, you see on the back of your bulletin, we're blessed to be able to spend time with another in fellowship through our narrow path, which we got to spend a lot of time on that yesterday. Our spa, our prime time, the different things that we do, we do to help connect you with each other so that you don't have to journey, feel like you're journeying with Jesus all alone. Um, we have a lot of people we've been praying for with health concerns. We continue to keep them in your prayers. Continue to uh, be in prayer for Roger, uh, Roger Snyder and Ken Martin's recovering. Uh, we've got other people that we've been lifting up in prayer. We've got troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins. Uh, we're praying for Santa on the West End Stocking Project, that they have the resources they need to reach even more kids this year. And then we're praying for all the missions that we support. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll, uh, we'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then I'll close us in prayer, and our praise team will lead us out with a song. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that you'll be with each person that we've lifted up to you in each situation. Father, we know you're Lord of all. And I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with that confidence that we live it with that joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
3: you for joining us for church this morning be glorified
1: and have a great week in the lord everybody